What, they think we got three Rod Brandemores or what? I think I started lifting real lightweights when I was like 12. Now listening to the Rod the Podcast with your hosts Jordan Betts and Mike Men. All right, welcome into the inside the podcast, the one where Mike's sitting in a booster seat. Um, I'm your host Jordan Betts here as always with uh, my man Mike May. How we doing, buddy? I'm good. I was just getting ready for dinner, so I wanted to be in the same seat I'd eaten. I'm just <laughs> waiting for my my tray and my buckle. So that I don't. <laughs> That's a pretty good pivot. I didn't know what you were gonna do with that. He didn't see it coming. Um, but yeah, so Mike's uh, podcast seats a, a little. Uh, it's on on the shelf, and uh, so we're here in the new studio, still feeling things out uh, as the canes sit. Uh, what right about the top of the Metro Division? I should probably know that. Uh, after getting seven points on the five game Pacific Road Swing, Mike, how we feeling? Feeling pretty good. I mean. Ultimately, it wasn't the best hockey that they've played. We kind of talked about that on the previous episode. You're early in the season. You want to get points. It might not look pretty right now. I certainly don't think that they're clicking completely yet, but I'm all right with that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, to clarify, they are sitting atop uh, the Metro Division with tied with Pittsburgh with nine points, but having a game in hand. Not that that matters this early in the season, but overall, you know, fairly impressed. But, you know, I think last week we talked a lot about the team building games. Kind of feels like they're building a season right now. It's they're they're, excuse me. they're clearly not uh, in midseason form, but your stars are carrying you early, and that's important. You know, Svetch is sitting here, seven goals, tied for the league lead, nine points. Ajo's also got nine points uh, with four goals and five assists. Uh, Marty Natchez and that KK line are still rolling, uh, finally showing some life on the power play. You know, I think Brett, Brent Burns and a few others are, are still feeling themselves into the season, but you're seeing they're getting there. And so... You know, macro perspective on that road trip, getting seven points. I think we said six would be the low water mark. Very pleased. Yeah, I would say very pleased. And the reality is we're starting to, you know, the like you mentioned, the power play is starting to convert. I haven't thought it looked excellent yet. Um, we're seeing the KK line play a ton of time on the ice right now which you love to see for the now and the future these are the guys that need to be building their game you're expecting a big season from Svetch you're hoping that Natchez comes off his slump and has an electric season which so far he started out in that route and then KK you know you're giving him the opportunity to play two center he's playing against some tougher tougher competition than he did in the previous season. So these are the guys that you want with a lot of exposure playing big minutes now so that you get to get the payout come playoff time. Yeah. And you know, with KK, it really hasn't translated in like tangible score sheet production. Um, but as we touched on before, the biggest kicker for me was I didn't want him to be an anchor for whatever line he played on. Cause I figured that would be with Svetch. 
uh, clearly isn't holding him back. I, I do think his foot speed uh, is an issue, and it shows up at times. But he's a heady player, puts himself puts himself in a good spot. But he's able to distribute the puck and really let you know his talented wingers, you know, be the guys that they are. And it's really unlocked that whole line. Makes complete sense as to why they're rolling him out there so much. Uh, Svech might be you know the hottest player in the league right now. Um, and then that top line, uh, Turbo's feeling it out. Uh, as I mentioned, but yeah, they're, they're going too. and big goals, you know, another uh, go ahead goal for Ajo there in Vancouver. Hey, I mean the bottom, I think the fourth line's been pretty good. Uh, Nasik's uh, been a great addition to the lineup um, kind of all over the score sheet. Granted, a lot of that's coming on the power play, but he's not bringing that unit down overall. Like there's not a ton of negatives. I mean, when, in my mind, you know, Freddie Anderson in Edmonton was kind of a sleepy outing. I didn't think he was he was, it was his best that night, but he even bounced back first, uh, you know, Vancouver. And, you know, overall, I mean, we don't want to be redundant or boring, but it's just kind of the status quo. You know, this is a team that's not even playing their best, and they're sitting there in first place winning 75% of their contest. I mean, what, what more do you want? Exactly. Uh, I've seen some people out there disappointed in how the team's playing. You should be very happy like you just mentioned look at the record the team has these guys are gonna get it together they're not gonna get worse as the season goes on they're going to improve they're going to gel more barring injuries and so forth and just to kind of touch on the players again we talked about KK foot speed is definitely an issue for KK it's not something that's going to get much better in the long run what he has to do is learn how to play quicker mentally so that the foot speed doesn't matter. You don't have to be the fastest skater, but you got to be the smartest and you got to make the best decisions on a frequent basis. I think the one quick improvement he can make is speeding up his release because his shot is too telegraphed. He's got a wicked shot and he can beat a goalie on a telegraph shot, but you're giving defensemen too much time to put a stick in there or to block it. And you're giving the goalie too, too much time to adjust. When we have a shot like that, sometimes quick and on the net is way more efficient than let me load up and put everything I got into this. So I think if he can, and I'm sure this is critique he's getting from the coaching staff, if he can speed up that release and sometimes realize that getting it to the net with pace on it quickly and kind of disguising your shot a little bit is going to reduce is going to produce more goals and more rebounds for putbacks like you're going to see those stats start to climb and he's going to get the assists he's got vision he's got a great pass on him and he's got the guys to put it away with him so I think we're going to see those tangible points start to add up for KK Svech on a heater absolutely right now playing the way he needs to play as the leader, as the dominating force on the line. And then you're giving Natchez the ability to kind of roam and play with the puck and create space for those guys. And that space he opens up is going to help KK. Um, you got to love that second line. First line, like you mentioned, playing good. Ajo is Mr. Consistent, bringing it every night. Jarvis looks like a guy that's seasoned already. He, he plays the right way. He does the things Rod wants him to do on a nightly basis. And you're not getting 100% Tavo yet. We're going to get there. So that line's only going to get better. And then what happens when you add Pacioretty into the mix? What happens if we do get Kasha back out of concussion protocol? Um, I mean, do you want to talk about who comes out of the lineup right now? <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, I mean, preseason, I would said Marty. I don't think it's Marty right now. Yeah, I don't know. So you're going to take out Nason? I mean, he's I don't been great. Know. I think everybody's been really good. Oh, like, they're making it difficult. Um, and, and we know Carolina's, difficult. you know, once Costa's healthy, they're not just going to stick him in the press box and it might be kind of a rotational thing. But, you know, I think they've been really good top to bottom. And I don't know. I, I That is lucky we're sitting here behind podcast mics and not having to make these decisions. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure who I would pick. Were you were you leaning a particular way? Um, I, to be honest with you, and it's not everybody's favorite answer, but our answer, my answer from the beginning of the season remains the same, and it's Martin Nook. And I don't want to be that guy, and I, I just think that you can use that cap space way better when you have a Nason, when you have a step on that are less than half the cost and in my opinion just as productive and if you can free up his cap space and if you can free up the cap space for ethan bear i mean you're talking about four million between the two of those and that's substantial i mean yeah that's another you know above average depth forward that you could bring in or or, a defenseman or defenseman and well, let's talk Ethan Bear briefly because we alluded to it last week and didn't really dive in. Uh, this week, uh, rumors came out, uh, substantiated rumors that Carolina is, of course, fill, uh, feeding, feeding, no, what siphoning through offers for sure, sure, fielding, sure, sure. fielding, fielding offers. offers. Ooh, what a, oof. it's been a long day. Brain just done. Um, fielding offers for Ethan Bear. Um, the current hangup seems to be that. Everybody expects Carolina to retain salary. Uh, the note from Don Waddell being, one, we don't have to move them. We don't have salary cap issues. Um, so make it worth our while. Or one, we're not going to move them, and we're definitely not going to retain salary. You know, tough situation for a guy that probably just wants to play, deserves to get some ice time, is an NHL defenseman. Um, I just don't think he deserves to be in there over Chatfield, Chatfield and others. No, Chatfield has been kind of the revelation of the season. We saw a little bit of it last season. Like he he has certain tools that make him valuable. It seems like he's even improved on the NHL performances we saw last year. There's no doubt he's the fifth best defender on this team right now, and that's the reason we haven't seen him come out of the lineup once. He's he he makes his mistakes, but he recovers well. He's all over the ice. He's physical. His outlet passes have been good, in my opinion. He's just been a really sturdy third pair defenseman, and it's you know it's nice. You know that's not a guy they drafted. It's a guy they went out and got because they saw something in him. They developed him, and then they brought him in, and he's now an impact player on a team that has Stanley Cup, you know, desires. So it's it's pretty uh pretty special stuff. The uh, Dahan Chatfield pairing has been one of the best statistic uh analytically excuse me speaking and then I mean when Coglin's got his chances he's been all right but I don't think he's beaten out Dahan or Chatfield right no, now. No I, I think it's very clearly Dahan and Chatfield it from a professional sports perspective perspective um you will see sometimes if a guy goes back home that that'll get him inserted in the lineup I think that's a nice touch, especially if it's a rotational guy that's getting his turn when he goes home, which was, you know, that was great for Dylan Coughlin uh, to get to play there uh, in Vancouver, correct, in front of his yep. family. 
Um, nice touch. And, and that's just Rod understanding what it means to be a pro, being a pro's pro and yeah. doing the right things. Little stuff like that goes a long way uh, with the lineup, especially when you're handling something on the other end with like an Ethan Bear where you're not playing them. So yeah. uh, doing trying to do right by your people will go a long way. Uh, and, you know, he's the best. That's why he's this is the podcast. But um, I think that's a pretty good synopsis of what's been going on kind of macro-wise with the lineup. Kind of want to briefly go through the three games that we didn't cover uh, in the three-game swing. Well, because they hadn't happened yet. Um, what were your thoughts uh, broadly on Edmonton? So Edmonton was one of those games where the Canes just, in my opinion, didn't play well. Svech kind of carried him on his back with his first regular season hat trick. Spectacular performance by him. Natchez also played really well, but the reality is they shot themselves in the foot with bad penalties. Um, and then Anderson, like you mentioned earlier, sleepy, didn't look great, didn't look like he was completely in the game. And, you know, Brett Burns is still adapting to Carolina at this point. He's building his game, and he wasn't quite there yet. And with that being said, it was a game until the last minute. Ajo has an opportunity to tie it, misses, but they score an empty netter 6-4. I mean, to yeah, play yeah. as badly as I thought that they were playing for most of the game, your guys, like you mentioned, your stars made it still a contest. And that's that's the part that's encouraging of the Edmonton game. Um. Yeah, what what a great night for Svech um, to go toe to toe. You know, best player in the world in Connor McDavid, and another top five player in Leon Drysital, and to be the best player on the ice. And I don't think it was all that particularly close. Uh, gets the hat trick, but was just dominant throughout, um, showing what we hope is signs to being that perennial uh, elite power forward in the NHL. Um, yeah, I totally agree with all your points, uh, especially like I mentioned earlier. I, I just, I don't know, if sleepy, disengaged. It, it just wasn't Freddie's night. And that, hey, that's going to happen. And a team with that much high-level skill on the other end can really expose you if you're not on your game. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was I thought Carolina could come in and as they have in previous iterations and matchups versus Edmonton, kind of impress upon the game, hey, this is going to be played our way. You know, it got loose and a little up and down, fast-paced pond hockey, which, hey, Carolina can play that game too. But when you're playing in Edmonton with those two guys uh, on the other side, I thought the game was played the way Edmonton wanted it to play. And so, I, hey, I, I think you'll see a totally different game when they come to Raleigh here in a few weeks um, and it's played in PNC. You can control the matchups a little bit more. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it, it was fine. It just... You you were going to lose at some point. I, I thought they'd split between uh, Calgary and Edmonton. They didn't do that, but they did get a point in Calgary. I, I'm not too upset by it, but I think it's that's been the game first and foremost where they weren't able to dictate the terms. I would agree with that. Yeah. So um, anything else there? Or are we going to go to Calgary? Let's we can go to Calgary. All right, Pre go ahead. Pretty similar, right? Mistakes kind of were another the the major burden for them, right? The power playing in Calgary was bad. They're letting in soft goals, right? You can't you can't be an elite level team and let a short side, weak throw it at the net 
Shaco in. Ronta completely anticipated a backdoor pass. Instead, they throw it near side. It beats him clean. And though like those things can can break your back in a game like that when you're playing as good of an opponent as Calgary with as good of a goalie as Calgary has. So I feel like it was another game where the Hurricanes put themselves in a really bad spot and it was still a game. No, 100%. And, and you know, Auntie Ronta has been good thus far this year. Maybe giving up a soft one a game, though, which you'd hope to, you know, see eradicated in future starts. Calgary, I mean, the frustrating part in this one for me, Carolina, who has struggled to score early, jumps out, puts two on him real quick on a Calgary team that under Bruce Sutter wants to sit back and be defensive. So I thought, hey, you're up 2-0. You're going to be able to kind of run with this one. And they never really just grabbed the game and, and like choked it out like we know they have the ability to. You know, Calgary gets right back into it, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a, it's a 3-2 overtime loss. Um, yeah, I mean, that one felt like you gave one away to me. I thought they were chasing in Edmonton a little bit. This one, they felt like it gave it away just because they're, they're too good to surrender multi-goal leads. You just don't see that under Rod. Yeah, it, it was not a good game, but it was the result of the Hurricanes' mistakes. And that's kind of the theme right now of the games where the Hurricanes have lost, being the two games we just discussed, is they've kind of done it to themselves, and they have a history of taking bad penalties. It's been all the way back to Rod's first season. This team has been a very aggressive team, and they're, they forecheck hard, and you know they've taken a lot of penalties, and... Uh, some of them come across as very soft penalties. It's almost to, like it's a reputation thing it, at this point. And which is the issue, yeah. Well, we, we talked about this on a podcast last year that, like, by reputation you get calls, or you, Carolina's been the inverse, like a, of the perennially good teams, they generally get calls. And it's because you have the better players that put you in, you know, uh, high leverage positions and you make mistakes. Carolina is like the antithesis of that, despite having the players and being in the high leverage positions. They are picking up so many, you know, ticky tack, stick infractions, you know, hooks, trips, you know, interference, things like that. And it's just like, I don't know, at a, at a certain point, this young core of guys needs to be um, looked at upon the refs as like legitimate dudes. Because, hey, candidly, stars get calls, guys that have been around for a long time get calls. And you earned that. Well, this group's earned that now. I mean, they've won two division championships in a row. They've gone to the playoffs four years in a row. This is a team that's been to the Eastern Conference Finals within the last four years. Like, they have some of the best premier young talent in the league. And just because they're young, well, we've surpassed that at this point. In my mind, it typically happens. It just takes time. I'm just frustrated that it's happening again this year when I, it really feels like we should be past that by now. Yeah, it's something where you'd hope the narrative changes sooner than later. It is very frustrating to see the ticky tacky minor ones that, you know, that aren't being called on, like you said, the star players, the veteran players around the league. Now, occasionally the ticky tacky ones are going to get called in those scenarios with high level players or veteran players, but it just, the volume of these calls and it's been backed up by the stats has been quite staggering for the hurricanes and like i said they do play a very aggressive game that's heavy on the forecheck they do have active sticks i get it they're putting themselves in positions 
but not every not every one of these is a is a, a foul you know, or you know, a penalty. It is sometimes it feels a little bit like game management. Carolina's you know maybe up a goal and really pressure pressuring, and all of a sudden, all right, let, let's reel this in. It's it's going to get out of hand. And okay, probably too early in the season to play the uh, the ref game, but it's something to monitor. And I think you guys need to keep an eye out for it. Um, because it's been a trend here in recent years. It's not just a, a recent phenomenon. Um, moving to Vancouver, um, a team that, woof, they are the dumpster fire right now. 0-5-2 um, with a team that you know spent a lot of money this offseason. Jim Rutherford kind of had borderline playoff expectations in a really tough market. Uh, Carolina didn't make it any easier on them uh, winning 3-2 uh, the other night. Yeah, didn't make it easier on them. But they also uh, played about as sloppy as you could. That was that just shows you where Vancouver's at right now. I, so I, when I watch the away games, I write up my notes on the game, and it's usually just a few things just to remind myself of what I saw as trends. And the number one thing I have written on the board for Vancouver is just sloppy. It was sloppy in so many different ways. Um, the team... Uh, this borderline goaltender interference call rod challenges it it's one of those ones where you look at it and you're like should you challenge that and give them a power play they score on the subs subsequent power play as a result of the failed challenge so i would say like rod just has to know at a certain point that if they call goaltender interference if there is any contact they're not reversing it yeah, They're just I, not I, going I, to. I know. I kind of get that one in a way because, hey, you're up one nothing off this fetch power play goal. Yep, another one. And, hey, he was on that side of the ice so he could hit a one-timer. Imagine that. Ugh, I mean, later in the game, he was not on that side. But I, yeah. don't, I don't get it. That's a different thing. Uh, and, Rod we and Rod, we trust. But so you're up one nothing. I could make the argument that, hey, to go up 2-0 really kind of puts that one away early. Sure. I, I don't think um, Vancouver can get back in the game. But at the same time, you've got them suppressed. I mean, they're really not doing anything early in the game. And so to give them a power play, which gives them life, which puts them right back in the game, you probably don't need that. And it's kind of right or wrong. You need to be a bit, a little bit like opponent and game flow based in how we're doing these it shouldn't just be an you know explicit focus on what he thinks he sees in the video. And yeah, Stastny's probably pushed in, but there's contact. It, it prevents um, Dimko for for you know getting into position. It, it just seemed a little unnecessary for me, um, especially because the game was in hand. And it isn't an opponent where going up two feels like it's a huge additive because you're going to struggle to score that night. If you're playing Shesterkin, all right, I, I want the second goal. Like, Absolutely. If it's Vancouver who hasn't beaten anybody, let's not give them life. Agreed. And I think it was goaltender interference. But like I said, when it's called, I don't think it was, but when it is called on the ice as goaltender interference, you're better off just like yeah, when you don't it's need be it. inconclusive or it's got to be conclusive to get it overturned. And, you know, and they're going to give you the BS. He had a substantial presence in the crease or whatever when I thought for how long were they saying you have to I, – I don't think Stasny uh, got in Demko's way and Mike, they, inhibited they write his ability. the rules with ambiguity so they it's can gray. make – Yeah, so they can make judgment calls, and they, they love the opaqueness of writing it like that. I mean – what substantial presence and like uh, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like 
Is there another league that writes their rules as gray as hockey? Like I was thinking about like pro football, basketball, soccer. Do any of those sports come off as such you know, gray the, the areas? The only one that comes to mind that's like a similar challenge thing. Um, well, football cleaned up the fumble. But remember the one year they had uh, you could review pass interference and it was like so ambiguous that like they didn't want to overturn any of them. Sure. I think it was overturned what one time throughout the whole year in the playoffs included. Yeah. That's kind of the only one. I mean, I can tell you what wasn't, um, you know, there was no doubt that or ambiguity in the fact that like I was in the taco bell long line for a substantial period tonight. Like there's nothing ambiguous about that. But last night, I mean, how do you define or in the Vancouver? How do you define that? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's it's a way to kind of give have the a, refs yeah a little ammunition. bit semblance of control. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. I just think it's, it's a dumb rule. It's lazy. I, they, it's they, garbage. I think they could tighten up the way the NFL did the fumble rules, and we'd all be like, cause I, I I'm gonna steal this from a podcast, um, an NFL podcast I used to listen to. If you can sit down at a bar with, you know, 20 guys and gals and everybody in the bar can watch a play and go, boom, that's a fumble or boom, that's not a fumble or it's a catch or whatever. We should use that common sense kind of when you see it, you know it. And like, he gets pushed in. Like, what was it? The Odell Beckham catch? What was the catch that was ruled not a catch? That was definitely a catch. There's there's been a few throughout history. The the Des Bryant one was big. There was a Calvin Johnson one. Um, you know, there's been multiple, um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where when you see it, you know it. And when a guy gets pushed into the crease, that kind of one of those, you see it and know it things. And I don't know. I, I'm rambling, but I think we agree. A few years back, I was like, I know the hockey rules well, but I was like, I'm going to go and like read through some of these and just kind of see like, cause there's so much ambiguity and I wanted to read through and kind of, have a better idea and I read through it and there's nothing clear in there every single rule is written gray and then it almost always includes some kind of clause that's like to ref's discretion like they've literally it's like it's like you took a lawyer and wrote a rule book <laughs> to where you exactly couldn't do anything did. that's I mean well, well, yeah, well folks, a- what we do have here is one prepared podcast host that has read the rules and one that has not. <laughs> so if you guys have any questions, ask Mike. Yeah, don't, though. <laughs> you don't want to. NHL rulebook time with Mike. Yeah, Is I'll that put our you to segment? sleep. Put this on before <laughs> you go to bed. Turtleneck time. We're just going to do <laughs> rules with Mike. Yeah. Every week you bring a new rule to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, guys. I'm back with your rule of the week. <laughs> Oh my Unreal. god. Uh, uh so any final thoughts on the road trip? As we've mentioned, seven points in five games, really solid outcome. Um, we've seen seasons over by the end of the Pacific Coast swing during the North yeah. Carolina State Fair. Certainly not the case this year, sitting in first place. Uh overall, very, very pleased. Yeah, I think uh, I'll call back to one of our previous pods where we had we had thrown around the idea that Trocheck wasn't coming back, and we talked about KK, and we said, "What's so wrong 
with giving KK minutes and letting him learn and letting them figure it out during the regular season and resting Jordan Stahl so that by the time playoffs come around, you got a fresh stall and you've got more minutes under your young guys' belts. And what's happening? I mean, you, you, you nailed that. And two, it's, it's working perfectly. And I think you're getting exactly what you want from both of those guys and both of those lines. Um, hey, kudos to you, man, because I, hey, between the two of us, I've been the the much bigger, you know, Kokanemi doubter and not thinking he could do it. I kind of wanted to see Natchez play center. Um, with what I'm seeing right now, they shouldn't change a damn thing. And they're also doing something we talked about where Natchez is taking some of his power side faceoffs. Yep, These are good. all things that... Well, we know Rod likes to have two guys yeah. that take faceoffs on every line, but it allows them both the opportunity to get what they want. And man, Natchez just looks like a different guy. Not even just how he's performing, just his general demeanor on the ice is like that guy's had a weight lifted off of him. And yeah, geez, I mean, that I love, contract looks like an absolute steal. I mean, the only thing you hate about it, it's only for two years. Yeah. And remember when, remember when Turbo was not playing well and signed his deal and boom, there are guys that. Fetch too. Fetch had that dip. Yeah. yeah. And when, there are guys that when the contract's on the line, they kind of hit a little bit of a rut. It, it's a young guy thing, though. It really does feel like a young guy thing. But then there's the guys that light it up, and then it's the worst contract you've ever signed. That's true. So I'd rather Thankfully have we the haven't slumpier. haven't been in that situation. I'd rather have the slumpier, get a two by three, right, and be like, holy cow, we're getting. I mean, all those contracts look fantastic. Yeah, it's very point. well and, done. Yeah, like we said, Svech, nine points, seven goals, tied for the NHL lead. You know, is Aho, look how good Aho's game is. I mean, he's without question an impact player. He's still the most you know dominant player on your team, uh, at least offensively. But God, that is the sneakiest nine. It's quiet, and he's had some like game winners and go ahead goals, but it's just like it's quiet because Svechus has been so in your face, and they're sitting here with nine points each. Yeah, I think we can just say Selkie. I mean, Ooh. This, Ooh. he has not. He has not, in my opinion, been given the respect that I think he's due. He matches up against a lot of top lines. Yeah, he plays on the penalty kill. He produces offensively. Has a two hundred foot game. Is center wins faceoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, to me, he it's checks a good all the argument. There, there's two problems with it, sure. and I think you'll agree with both. One, it's that Jordan Stahl is here, and he's sure. considered the shutdown guy. But if he's and only, has that reputation, sure. But I, I agree. I think Ajo's getting more and more of those matchups, and I think he will throughout the regular season. But unfortunately, the media, the national presence, the international presence doesn't see a lot of Carolina until the postseason. Sure, which and doesn't so, matter when yeah, it comes well, to for voting. this. But I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where they see Stahl have sure. like the impact matchup. Sure, you know there was so much made of it during the Boston series of him just shutting them down. So that's working against Ajo. The other thing is. Selkie feels like one of those wars, awards, like generally Norris, other than the year when Adam Fox won it, where you have to do it for multiple years. Like it becomes mm -hmm. your turn to win it. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, the captain of the Florida Panthers who Barkov. won it. Barkov. It, he was, should have won it the one year, and then he didn't win it until the next year. It was actually worse than the year prior, Yeah, but it became his turn to win it. And, you know, that's just kind of how it happens in – this league yeah and i think last season he was knocking on the door of that conversation i think he's going to knock on the door again this season it's only a matter of time 
before he has a Selkie. There's just, especially if he stays in Carolina and if Rod continues to coach, I just think that that guy, I mean, he's going to be a point-per-game player who matches up, who shuts down other I mean, I, there's too much to love about right. his all-around game. I think playing game. for Rod is a big part of that because yeah. once Jordo, you know, whenever it is, moves out of the picture, then all the focus is not just on Ajo being the star player, but it's on him being the 200-foot player uh, under Rod Brindamore's tutelage, who's also won two Selkies. It, sometimes these things write themselves. And, sure. um, yeah, I, I think that's a really astute point, Mike. Um, Want to talk a little jerseys before we get out of here? Yep. We made some predictions. Um, we predicted Red Whalers, I believe, which yeah. got half of that right. Half of it right. I was honestly surprised to see them go away from whalers i'm okay with it me too because i had enough of the I whalers i think we've made that known yeah had enough of the whalers stuff i was okay with them going away from it i absolutely despise the idea of making reverse retros for the sake of making reverse retros vegas having a reverse retro makes no sense garbage Right, I mean, like makes like no Carolina sense. Seattle ha having a yeah, reverse retro. No, I'm with you. Like Carolina's from it 2019. Should, it shouldn't be a mandated thing. You know, I mean, it, it just be like I understand that you're getting money that these jerseys are selling. I get it. Is this one gonna just, sell? Though? Just call it. It'll. They're not. I'm assuming they're not like mass produced in advance, right? Right. I mean, I don't know. That's true. I could but, be wrong. I mean, this one. Hey, we were texting about it. I don't independent of all the other jerseys. Like if I didn't know anything about the Carolina Hurricanes and I saw this jersey, I'd be like, oh, it's cool. That's fine. Yeah, it's um, fine. I would call it the first miss jersey-wise of the Dundon era. They've been nails the whole time. Um, you know, even jerseys that when they were first released, I was like, eh, like I didn't love the cascading the letters. I the did black. love the, I love the blacks. For I me. didn't like that, the that black. Was, I was all in. I, yeah. I thought that the points with having the North Carolina between the sure. flags, it actually being a hurricane flag, sure. not a tropical storm flag. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was all in on that. I love the patches. I, I, that's still probably, you know, my favorite jersey. And I'm glad it's their, their primary now. But yep. they've been really good. Their first iteration of the Reds were great. I mean, um, even the Whalers first, sure, the green reverse retro was I mean, gas. green reverse, or the green Whalers was fire. I mean, the gray one got great reviews across the nation. I'm just not. That's a, a nostalgic. A, sure, yeah, sure. But I'm, I'm just not a Whalers thing. But it's a win because it was loved broadly and people like it. This one is the first one that, you know, that one was considered a, a top five in all the reverse retro rankings. Carolina, you're seeing a lot of, you know, 25 and below. It, it's like the red jersey that they're not using this year, and the whites just had a baby, and it, like it, it wasn't as creative or inventive. Sure. Um, I'm glad they didn't do a red whalers. I think that would have been atrocious. But you know, I think the usefulness, and you can only have so many word marks or whatever, of the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, a hurricane being kind of an you know a intangible thing. Obviously, it's a super tangible, but as in a logo, it's not. You you can't look at the Miami Hurricanes. They go with the U. Uh, shout out to Duke. Yeah. A tournament's big dub. Breaking the breaking, breaking the U over I mean, the knee. Is the Fantastic. U dead? Did they just end it? Um that was a fun game to be at. But yep. you know, it is you can kind of be fun and, and play with it. I, I just thought they'd be a little bit more inventive because they've been so good, you know, in the past four or five years with what they've produced. Yeah, it was I mean, so 
the whites for me, I'm like they're okay. I they, I don't love them. I don't hate them. I think you, the you whites. You said the black grew on the whites. The one that the grew white on grew on the white or the black correct grew on me. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, eh. Second time I saw it, I was like, it's not bad. Third time I saw it, I was like, I'm buying one. It looks so good on the ice. The, sure. the black is great. The More whites teams should wear black. Whites, I was just like, oh my god. When they came out. They're all right. I'm okay with them. I'll accept them. They're away jerseys. I don't really care. We don't see them that much. Don't care. They're fine. I own one. I think they look good in the stands and when people wear them. Yeah. It's I, a nice jersey to it's wear. It's crisp. Yeah. yeah. But it's not a great, great jersey on the ice. The red for me, like, it's just like... The initial red. Like, the one that they first produced when Dundon got here. Yeah, that one's, that one's all right. That's yeah. kind of like a mix between the old reds and the, you know... It's much better than the Reebok stuff we <laughs> the had. Candy canes. It's there the the jerseys we've had now for a while. I I, I like. I yep. don't have an issue with them. Um, they're not well received throughout the hockey world. But no, who cares? but that that really seems to come down. Do you like that Hurricane logo or not? Yeah, and do you like cascading letters without sure. the full name, like Hurricanes versus Canes? Like that seems to be something that bothers people. The red is. I, I wouldn't like look at somebody and be like, wow, that's a terrible jersey. It's fine jersey. Which one are we talking? Reverse retro or the reverse retro, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I need to be more specific. The we reverse got so retro. Many reds. We got yeah, yeah, original yeah. reds. We got now the twenty fifth anniversary is gas. That one is I, out of the ballpark. We said it last week. I would not be upset if that became their primary red. No, I, I think I, that I, is fuel yeah. in a move that needs to happen. I love I love that one. The reverse retro red, it's just it's just all right. And I mean what I think could have made it take the next step is to take the cascading letters off and throw on the black jersey logo the and that, hurricane the flag. hurricane flag yeah. logo. And I think that would have taken it from a mid jersey to a that's a pretty solid jersey. I, I'm waiting for them to deploy that logo more. They're probably often. saving I, it. I think that needs to be the primary. I mean, yeah, it's it touches all the base. I mean, it's got North Carolina. It's it's an actual hurricane's yeah. flag. It's much more tangible than the saucer. And I'm not a hurricane. I'm not the original logo hater, sure. but that makes a lot more sense to my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, so it's I'm just waiting yeah. for it to use it. I I would be shocked if any of these logos, and this is maybe hurting them this time, I was shocked if any of these logos are what's used on the outdoor game. Yeah. Typically those are completely independent and unique, and maybe that's why it feels like the reverse retro this iteration didn't get kind of the attention it deserved. I've said this for a long time. Not, I don't think I've said it on the podcast, but the New York Islanders fisherman Jersey, if they had a hurricanes version of that Jersey with Blackbeard on it, <laughs> I would be, uh, dude. Well, hey, you know, we have seen them do uh what were they doing? The Oak city collection. Yeah, they did t-shirts and yeah. stuff. I mean, literally take the fisherman, but, Replace it with Blackbeard and have his beard smoking and have him planting a Hurricanes flag, bro. I'm all in. Dude. Take my money, dude. I'm all in on that. That uh, minor league jersey you got, dude. I don't care. That thing, right. that thing would be dope. Well, you know, we don't want to turn this to the Jersey podcast. We've sure. uh, talked jerseys now in the past two episodes. It's fun. It's pertinent. Uh, we have one more to talk about. We are very excited for whatever they produce. Uh, with the outdoor game, sounds like that's going to be a terrific event. Uh, listen to the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, where they had the, like the head of events in the NHL on there, and he was like really impressive in all the things they're talking about doing. 
sounds like there's going to be people down on the field in Carter Finley and music as the game's going on. It's going to be an event. I'm excited to partake in it. We got a long way to go before February 18th. Um, Islanders coming up weird back to back, uh, a lot of home road backs backs coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, we'll talk about it all. Um, next, next week. week. Yeah, all absolutely. Right? I think, uh, the, and we'll leave you with, we were worried about our, uh, defensive depth, right? Scott Morrow off to an electric start yeah. in his second NCAA season. And, uh, Nikishin is looking like a top four caliber defensive prospect while he's tied up in the KHL for a few years. We were worried about the cupboard on the defensive side and they seem to have stocked it. We just need to get more signed after this season, yeah, to be man. honest with and, you. And, uh, geez, just another example of this organization, their terrific job of building the depth. Um, what a farm system. I mean, it's really impressive the way they've identified and developed players, but any final thoughts? That's it. All right, y'all, let's get one on Friday. Go Canes.